Hello and welcome to The Green Hornet from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. X-Tree, X-Tree, Sentinel X-Tree, now the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush, presents The Green Hornet. the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. With his faithful valet Cato, Rick Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Now ride with Rick Reed in the thrilling adventure of Political crossfire. The Green Hornet strikes again. The adventures of the Green Hornet are brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. Delicious Orange Crush is made with real fresh oranges. With all its wonderful fresh fruit flavor, sealed in that sunproof Orange Crush brown bottle. The exclusive brown bottle that keeps light out, keeps flavor in. Always look for that exclusive brown bottle and enjoy the one and only Orange Crush. When Joseph Mitchell announced his candidacy for mayor, Rick Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, was elated. He'll make a great mayor. And he'll defeat any candidate put up by Jim Courtney and his crooked machine. But Big Jim Courtney made a surprising move. The one-man boss of his party announced his retirement from politics. A week later, his party, now supposedly unbossed, selected the ablest candidate for mayor in its history. The man Bruce Gifford was as young as Mitchell, was dignified, completely honest, and highly respected by everyone. But Brick Reed affirmed his earlier decision. Gifford's assets aren't enough to offset the liability of his party's record under Jim Courtney. And the Sentinel will back Joe Mitchell. His record in public office, as in the Army, is superb. But in addition, he's closer to the people than Gifford, and has great qualities of leadership. Gifford's a good man, but that's not enough. Two weeks before election day, Big Jim Courtney sat in the study of his sprawling country home talking with Pete Turner. Turner had been sent to Hong Kong by Courtney a few weeks earlier and had returned only that day. The men were drinking and Courtney was happy. Pete, Mitchell's caught on with the public like a house of fire. The odds against Gifford are ten to one and still going up. When they reach 15 to 1, I'll instruct my agents to start placing bets on Gifford. <laughs> now, Pete, you say everything's set for the caper we're going to pull on Mitchell, hmm? Yeah, yeah, all set, Jim. When I arrived in Hong Kong, I outlined your proposition to Nina Jumay. When she heard the amount of money you'd pay her for coming here, that's all there was to it. We flew back together from Hong Kong. She's hiding out in San Francisco now. Fine, fine. Oh, wait till she accuses Mitchell of being a communist and a bigamist. And then shows papers to prove it. 
Man, oh man, will Mitchell be finished. Uh, suppose <laughs> the big wheels in Washington try to clear Mitchell. Suppose they tell the truth about the two years he spent in China after the war. Oh, they'll never reveal the undercover work he performed as an agent for this country. If they did, it might mean war. And rather than risk that, they'll remain quiet. And so will Mitchell. I'm betting my money and my future on that. <laughs> Especially my money. <laughs> Within two days, the odds against Gifford dropped from 15 to 1 down to 3 to 1. When reporter Michael Axford advised Reed that Jim Courtney's agents were betting the money that lowered the price, Reed became concerned. That evening in his apartment, he talked with Cato, his valet and confidant, and the first person ever to know that Brick Reed was the Green Hornet. Cato, we must learn if Courtney's really the man who's betting on Gifford. It's up to the Green Hornet to see that Mitchell doesn't lose the election through fraud or trickery. Well, Mr. Courtney pulled bad tricks many times in the past. Yeah, that's why we'll take a microphone and listening device with us and go out to his estate. You know where it is, don't you? Oh, Mr. Courtney's house? Yes. Oh, sure, Mr. Brett. Well, I take you there many times when you go for an interview. Oh, of course you did. Almost every election for the past ten years. I know his house by heart. Well, shall we go now, kid? Oh, yes, Mr. Brett. Oh, I have masks, gas guns, and special keys in the bedroom. We get them and leave. The Green Hornet at Courtney's estate used his special key to gain admittance into the house, while Cato, also masked, remained outside. Courtney was out for the evening, and his servants had retired. Quietly, the Green Hornet entered Courtney's study. There, he attached a small microphone beneath a desk near the window. He ran the web-like microphone wire behind the drapes, over the windowsill, and lowered it along the ivy-covered trellis. Outside, beneath the study window, Cato attached the microphone wire to a long coil of wire which he had been holding. The Green Hornet joined him, and together they ran this wire through the high Bermuda grass to a spot in a thick wooded area, a few hundred feet from the rear of the house. It's possible to drive the Black Beauty in here and to keep it hidden at night among the trees. I will bring the listening device here every night and use this as a listening post. Courtney uses his study a great deal. Perhaps before long we'll hear something of interest. For six nights, the Green Hornet and Cato listened and learned nothing informative. Then they heard the conversation that made them sit bolt upright. In Courtney's study, Pete Turner was talking. So everything's all ready, is it, Jim? Mm, the schedule for the radio show has been released, if that's what you mean. Yeah, it is. I know it goes on the air at 5 o'clock Monday night, but now I don't know... wait un... a minute, Pete. Get a pencil and paper, write down the information I give you, and pass it on to your girl Nina when she arrives at the airport. Okay. I'm ready. Let's have it. The broadcast is called Political Crossfire. It's a panel show where newspaper men question candidates for office. Now, Monday's show, the last one before election, is the one where the panel questions the candidates for mayor. The show is divided into three ten-minute parts. During the first ten minutes, they'll question Mitchell. Ah, the first ten minutes, huh? That's the important part. The most important. 
That's when your pal Nina breaks the show wide open and knocks Mitchell out of the election when she rushes in and accuses him of the things that we frame. <laughs> She'll do it, Jim. Don't worry. Now, they'll go on the air at 5 o'clock in Studio 9B of the Pyramid Broadcasting Company. You have that? Yeah, yeah. Studio 9B, five shots. Now, as I told you, Mitchell will be questioned the first ten minutes. Then comes Gifford. After that, the panel will spend another ten minutes questioning them both. Oh, by the way, Jim, who's on the panel this week? Or the biggest newspaper men in the business. Two publishers, Harlan Carey and Britt Reed, And two feature writers, Jack Malden, Bob Bartley. They are tops. Jim, where does Mitchell sit during the broadcast? Center? At a table facing the panel. Why? I want Nina to be sure. He's never seen Mitchell. But as long as he's by himself, she'll pick him out without batting an eye. Shall I give her a long-distance call now? Yes, yes. Tell her to arrive in town Monday morning. I explain why you can't risk meeting her. Give her all the dope. And if there's anything she wants to know at the last minute, give her this phone number. Yeah. It's unlisted, so my name doesn't have to be brought into it. Give her the number. Tell her what Sitting in the black beauty, the Green Hornet disconnected the listening machine. Cato shook his head as he removed his headphones. Charlie, oh, not understand everything of what plan they make against Mitchell sound very bad. Oh, you will call police and tell them these things? No, Cato. If the police questioned Courtney, he'd deny everything we heard tonight. Meanwhile, this man Pete would notify the girl Nina, and she wouldn't go through with her part of the plan. No, Cato, this is a job the Green Hornet must do alone. You have idea what you do? I think so. Joe Mitchell lives at the Delray Hotel during the campaign. I must get in touch with his campaign manager and, in a casual way, learn what Joe Mitchell's schedule is prior to the broadcast on Monday. During the closing stages of the campaign, candidate Joseph Mitchell had reserved a suite in the Delray Hotel. On the day before election, he entered his room at 4 o'clock prepared to take a shower and change clothes before his five o'clock radio commitment. But when he stepped into his room, a figure leaped from a spot to the side of the door. What? It, the Green Hornet. Oh, no, you don't. Give me that gun. I said give me that. Take care of you for a while. So you had to do it, old man. Now I'll leave you. The Green Hornet ran into the hall and made his way down the fire stairs at the rear of the hotel. A few minutes later, on a street near the hotel, Brick Reed entered the automobile which had been waiting there and sat beside Cato, who was in the chauffeur's seat. To the Pyramid Broadcasting Building, Cato. Oh, yes, Mr. Brick. Well, how everything go, Mr. Brick? Well, Joe Mitchell's fast asleep, Cato. He'll be out for at least an hour. Well, by that time, oh, many things happen, huh? Yeah, let's hope so. Cato, do you have that tape recorder as well as the listening machine? Oh, yes, Mr. Brits. I put them in trunk of car. Good. Now, when you drop me at the radio station, go right on to Courtney's place. It'll be dark by the time you get there. Set up the machines right away and listen and record everything that's said. I have an idea Courtney's wires will begin to burn shortly after 5 o'clock today. At ten minutes to five, Joseph Mitchell had not yet appeared in Studio 9B. Craig Adams, excitable producer of the show, made a series of brief telephone calls, all unavailing. He was visibly agitated when at three minutes to five, 
He rushed back into the studio, where the four members of the radio panel and candidate Bruce Gifford stood chatting before taking their places. I can't find him. I don't know where he is. No one knows where he is. I call his home. He's not there. I call his headquarters. They tell me to call the Delray Hotel. I call the Delray Hotel. They ring his room, and he doesn't answer there either. What am I going to do? This broadcast goes as Mr. I... Adams, uh, just a minute. Oh, what, just what is it, Mr. Reed? Well, Mitchell's probably on his way here, held up in traffic, perhaps. Uh, why not have Mr. Gifford start the show? That'll use up ten minutes, and by that time, Mitchell may be here. Well, I must do something. Mr. Gifford, what about it? I'll be very happy to go on first. That's no imposition. But, uh, Mr. Adams, they're signaling to you in the control room. Oh, thanks. Okay. Now, we've one minute, gentlemen. Mr. Gifford, if you'll sit over there in front of that microphone. You? You, Mr. Reed, and you, Mr. Barkley, suppose you sit to the left of the moderator's chair. Uh, Mr. Carrie, you you and Mr. Malton will sit to the right. All right, stand by, everybody, and make this good. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Gals, fellas, hello. And how about an orange crush? Wouldn't it taste delicious just at this moment? That cool, tangy, refreshing flavor. So good because it's made from real oranges. Fresh, pre-ripened California oranges. I bet Mother's got an orange crush waiting for you in the refrigerator right now. Let's go and see. And if she hasn't, I'm sure she would have if she thought about it. So why not remind her? Tell her you like Orange Crush. And you can tell her it's good for you, too. Yes, sirree, Orange Crush is not only deliciously refreshing, it's real good for you. When it comes to Orange Crush, you can drink all you want. You see, there's nothing artificial about it. No artificial flavoring, no artificial coloring. That delightful fresh fruit flavor is nature's own. So remind Mother to get a six-bottle handy pack next time she's shopping or ordering from the grocers. And say, always, any time you're feeling thirsty, be sure to ask for Orange Crush. You'll recognize it because it comes in that famous crinkly brown bottle, the sunproof bottle that keeps sunlight out and flavor in. Get Orange Crush. Remember, there's nothing else quite as good. No other drink has the same refreshing, fresh fruit flavor. So wherever you are, ask for Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Now back to the Green Hornet. Mr. Gifford, you said in answer to Mr. Barclay's question that if elected, you'll appoint a special committee to investigate... The radio show Political Crossfire was in its sixth minute, and panel member Brick Reed was asking a question of candidate Bruce Gifford, who sat alone on a chair facing the newsmen. Suddenly, the door burst open. Nina Jumay stood in the doorway. Her eyes moved quickly over the small studio and rested upon the man who sat alone. Joseph! So at last I find you, Joseph! In the control room, Craig Adams gasped and turned to the engineer at the controls. Cut the show off the air. Switch to the standby studio. The newsmen leaped to their feet. Craig Adams, livid, started from the control room to the studio. And Bruce Gifford, startled, rose from his chair, backing away from the woman who bore down oh, on Joseph, him. What is this? Joseph, who are you? you what are you life? doing? Keep away from oh, me! Oh, no, Joseph, I will not keep away. You thought you would get away from me forever, didn't you? Well, it's taken years, Joseph, but I have found Who you. I... that woman in? What in thunderation's going on here? Do not put your hands on me. For five years I have sought my husband. Husband? Yes, this is my husband. 
Joseph, I warned you, you would never escape this me. This woman's mad. Yes, Miss, get your arms from around my neck. Right, Pull her away you. from me, someone. Yes, Cut yes, the mics in there. Chuck, call the police. Yes, Madam, let go of her. No, let no. go, I said. Oh. She's a tiger. Stop, you are hurting me. Joseph, do not let them do this to me. You're mistaken. My name... Back here. Rick Reed had placed his armor on Gifford's neck from behind as if to pull him away. Get back. Madam, if you don't let go, I... Oh, I... Reed, what are you doing? You're choking him. I'm trying to pull him back. You take care of her. Let me help. No. Loosen her fingers no. from his coat. The panel members separated the struggling woman and the gasping Bruce Gifford. Joseph, these thugs are beating me. Now look, madam, you've broken up a radio I program. I do not care what I do. When I arrive in this city, I try to find my husband. They tell me he is here, and so I come to get him. My dear lady, I'm not your husband. I've never You been... lie. Always you have lied to me. When you left me in Hong Kong, you said you would return. But you deserted me as you deserted your comrades. Hong Kong? He was never in Hong Kong, was he? You say he was never in Hong Kong. Well, let me tell you. If he should return there, they put him in jail. This man who wants to be the mayor of your city would be in jail if he were in Hong Kong. Why, this dame is nuts. Chuck, did you call the police? You call the police. That is good. Let me talk to them. I tell them everything. I will tell them how this man is a bigamist. A bigamist? Only last month in Hong Kong, I see an American newspaper. It says he is a candidate for mayor of this city. And it shows a picture of him with his wife and family. I'm not married to anyone. You lie. I have papers to prove we were married in Canton, China in 1946. Madam, you're way off base. He was never in China. And his name... Carrie, Carrie, let her go on. This is good. You are newspaper men who are supposed to tell the truth to the people. Well, tell them the truth about this man who cringes in shame now that his past has caught up with him. Gentlemen, this is preposterous. I never saw this woman before. I'm not married, as you know. You are a brazen one. All right, I shall tell them more. My husband was a member of the staff of the Chinese Agrarian Army when he was supposed Just to be... Just a second. You say he's a Chinese Red Agent, too? But yes, because he was an American. He was able to buy military supplies from the British and from his own country to smuggle to his comrades. Joseph went to Hong Kong now, and... cut it right, Sarah. This joke's gone too far. It is not a joke. I shall prove what I say. Oh, yeah? Look, madam... You keep calling this man Joseph. Why? Because he is my husband and I have always called him Joseph. That is why. Joseph Mitchell and I were married in... (laughs) What is the matter? Why do you laugh? You and Joseph Mitchell were married in Canton? Yes. Look at him. There is guilt written on his face. Joseph Mitchell, let me tell you what. Stop it, fools. This is not to laugh at. Oh, you'd think not, madam. Well, for your information, this isn't Joseph Mitchell. What? This man is Bruce Gifford. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, yes, Jack. The cops are on the way. We just got a call from Mr. Let me out of here. No, you don't, young lady. Stay right here till the police come. I want them and the public. To know that I've had nothing to do with this attempted frame-up against Mr. Mitchell. Mr. Adams, I didn't get a chance to finish. We got a phone call from Mr. Mitchell. He's on his way here now. Well, did he say what kept him late? Plenty. He has detectives guarding him. He says he was knocked out by the Green Hornet. Green Hornet? What? Miss, did the Green Hornet put you up to this? I do not know what the Green Hornet is. Oh, what a fool I have made of myself. Half around the world I have traveled and now... policeman. If I were you, I think I'd prepare to tell them the truth. The police arrived and later were joined by detectives and police commissioner Higgins, who arrived with Joseph Mitchell. 
Nina Jumei suddenly refused to talk. They searched her pocketbook and learned her identity from her passport. There were other documents in the purse, some of which would later be proved false. But their attention centered on a large sum of American money and a slip of paper with a telephone number on it. When the woman refused to reveal knowledge of the number, Commissioner Higgins said to a detective, Brady, don't call his number. First check and find out whose number it is. Yes, sir. The detective returned about five minutes later. Commissioner, wait till you hear this. It's an unlisted number. It belongs to Big Jim Courtney. Courtney, huh? Yes, that's the kind of thing he would try to win an election. Commissioner, that's not fair. I assure you, Jim Courtney has nothing to do with my campaign. Now we'll find out soon enough, Mr. Gifford. I believe you, but... See here, Miss Dumay. Where did you get that money in your purse? Did Courtney pay you that to do this thing? Believe me, I do not know who Jim Courtney is. But I'll tell you about Pete Turner, the man who paid me to come to this country... I first met Pete Turner in Hong Kong in 1939. When Nina Jumay finished her story, Commissioner Higgins' reaction was immediate. If Courtney is behind this conspiracy, he should spend the rest of his life in prison. You say Pete Turner told you to call him at Courtney's? He gave me the telephone number. That is all I know. It's Courtney's. O'Grady. Yes, sir? Judge Miller's working late in his office tonight. Get over there immediately and get a search warrant for Jim Courtney's premises. Right away, Commissioner. You detectives, we're leaving for Courtney's at once. Take this woman along with you. Go with her, Mr. May. Come along, sir. Commissioner, I want to go with you. Certainly, Mr. Gibbard. Might be a good idea if all you newspaper men were to... Hey, where's Reed? Reed you're asking about? He just went down on the elevator. Oh, hello, Exford. Did he say where he was going? No, he just waved and went. Hey, what's happening here? We got word at the office... Well, come with there... us, Exford. You'll learn the story on the way. Mr. Adams, you come too. All right, Commissioner. This was your show when it started. You may as well be in for the final curtain. Let's go. Britt Reed had left Studio 9B and taken a taxi in order to reach Courtney's home before the police. Here you are, cabby. Thank you, sir. He dismissed the cab a block from the estate and hurried unseen to where Cato was listening to and recording all conversation from Courtney's study. Cato began an excited and voluble report. Oh, Mr. Britt, you listen to what I have on tape recorder. Courtney and man named Pete talk all the time about plan they make with girls. They get all upset now because they not hear on radio a story about how she get Mitchell in trouble. Right now they if say... If the recorder has all the things you told me just now, don't bother taking another word. Cut the machine. Oh, yes, Mr. Britt. There. I'll wipe off all fingerprints and close it. I'll use my flashlight and write a note, which I'll sign at the Green Hornet seal. Police are on their way to Courtney's now. Use your special key and get the recorder into the hallway before they arrive. Then here's what I want you to do. Call for me shortly after they get there. When Commissioner Higgins and his retinue of cars stopped in front of the Courtney estate, they found Britt Reed waiting. Well, let's get inside, Reed, before Courtney sees us coming. The entire party of men followed Higgins and Nina Jumay to the front door of the house. Courtney himself answered the chimes and opened the door. Say, what is... When he saw Higgins and the crowd with him, Courtney tried to bar their entrance. But Higgins pushed him back into the hallway. No, right, none of that, Courtney. We're here on serious business, with a warrant. Now, step back. Come in, Miss Jumay. Pete Turner came from the study into the hall and joined Courtney. His face blanched when he saw the girl, but he quickly regained his composure. Higgins repeated the story she had told the police. 
But both men facing the woman denied all knowledge of the things she had confessed. Commissioner, this is an outrage. It's a slanderous piece of blackmail perpetrated by political enemies. Yeah. And as for what this dame says about knowing me, that's crazy. I never saw her before in my life. I never even heard of her. Get her out of here. Peter Turner, you cannot talk about me that way. Commissioner, I shall tell you more about Peter. He is a smuggler of narcotics. Hey, so... hey, everybody. Look at this. Glory be, look at this, will you? What's that you have there, Mr. Ashford? It's a tape recorder, Mr. Mitchell. Standing here in the hall. Tape recorder? Well, it doesn't belong to me. What, doesn't it, Courtney? Commissioner, there's a note on top of it. That's what caught me eye. It has the seal of the green hornet on it. Green hornet? Yeah, let me see it, actually. What does it say? Grady, bring that recorder over here. Yes, sir. Listen to this note, everyone. It says start the recording at the spot already set on the machine. The green hornet. Why, I, uh, I know nothing about this. What kind of a game is this? I assure you, Courtney, it's no game. All right, Grady, start that machine. Let's hear what's on that tape. Jim, it's ten after five. Right now, our pal Nina's in Studio 9B putting things in an uproar. That's Turner's voice. the look on Mitchell's face when she starts that scorned woman routine I wrote for So she was using a script, huh? That's Cockney talking quiet. You're going to clean up a fortune on this election. How much have you got there? Well, the figures are on the desk there in that red-covered ledger. Take a look for yourself. Okay. Hey, you bet more than I thought. Hey, but look, this isn't all bet money listed here, is it? Oh, no. Oh, oh Courtney. No, summer bribes. This one's marked J.T. That's the money I paid to Commissioner Tillman to get the paving contract in Riverview. Glory be. And I have something on most of the boys at the city hall. My wall safe has a book that tells everything about them and how much they pay me to keep it quiet. In uh, contracts and concessions, of course. Ready to use that warrant, get those What books. have you got on Bruce Gifford, Jim? Oh, nothing. He's not smart enough to be crooked. He's so dumb he doesn't even know that I engineered his nomination to take the heat off me. <laughs> when I move in on that stuffed shirt after election... Stuffed shirt, am I? I'll show you. No. Give us not caught me cold. Uh, let's turn All right, radio. that's enough, that's enough. Revive Courtney, someone. Well, I I guess you got us cold. Now, look, Nina, you're not going to testify against me, are you? After your insults to me? I most certainly am. Honey, I was only kidding when I said I didn't know you. Ah, he admits he knows her now. Brady, put the cuffs on Turner. Take him and the girl out to the car. Um, oh, what is it, Miss Gifford? Uh, Commissioner, you know that tape recording can't be accepted as evidence in court. Yes, but Courtney's book, girl's testimony, and Turner's admissions will send them all to jail. And with the permission of the police, the newspapers will print what's on the recordings. It'll hurt Mr. Gifford, I suppose. I don't care. Mr. Adams has invited us all back to the studio to do the show again at 10 o'clock. At that time, I intend to announce my withdrawal from the mayorality contest. But you can't do that, Gifford. But I am, Mitchell. Not because I fear defeat, but because I feel compelled as a matter of duty to repudiate a party that let itself become the captive of a man like Courtney. Oh, Mr. Reed, oh, are they telling me at studio you come here? Oh, so I come here for you with cars. Oh, fine, Cato. Say, if any of you men who are going to the radio studio want to lift my cars here, you're welcome to ride in it. Oh, thanks, Mr. Reed. Well, what about you, Action? Uh, nothing doing, Reed. The cops are staying on to do some searching at this house and to look into the green harness angle. Oh, that's right. He was in on this, wasn't he? Him? Why, he's the one that gave the whole shooting match away. Now, first he knocks out Mitchell. Then he left that record machine here that exposed Courtney and Turner Good. <laughs> While you're riding to town, I'd be figuring out what made him do those things. <laughs> Sorry I can't go with you, Reed. But all I'm interested in is the green harlot. Set the back, Reed! Set the back, 
the Green Hornet story for today. Another exciting story brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world. The drink that's actually good for you because it's made with real oranges. The one and only Orange Crush. It sparkles, it tingles, it makes you feel fresh again. Always keep several bottles in your refrigerator. And always remember, the handy way to do that is to get the handy pack. Six bottles of Orange Crush in a handy carrying case. This program is a feature of the Green Hornet Incorporated, created by George W. Trendle, produced by Trendle Campbell Muir Incorporated, directed by Charles D. Livingston, and edited by Fran Stryker. The part of the Green Hornet is played by Jack McCarthy. This copyrighted feature originates in Detroit, and all characters, places, and incidents used are fictitious. The Green Hornet is brought to you every Wednesday and Friday at this same time by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. That's the drink you like best of all. Try it. Next time, ask for Orange Crush. But remember, don't say orange. Say Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Next Friday, listen to the Green Hornet again in the story of danger entitled The Spy Master. And now till Friday... This is Fred Foy saying so long from Orange Crush. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.